Major Lindsay and Africa presents Bouncing Back, conversations about resilience for lawyers. Welcome to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. This podcast is brought to you by Major Lindsay and Africa, the global leader in legal search and consulting. I'm your host, Rebecca Glasser. I'm a managing director in the associate practice group at Major Lindsay and Africa. In this podcast, you'll hear me speak to successful professionals about the hiccups, bumps, bruises, and setbacks they've experienced in their careers and personal lives. And you'll learn how they ultimately bounce back from those experiences to thrive. Today, my guest is Missy Kofod. Missy is a formerly practicing Atlanta attorney and the co-founder and CEO of the company 1821 Bitters. 1821 is a purveyor of handcrafted premium cocktail bitters, tinctures, shrubs, syrups, old-fashioned tonic, ginger beer, and craft cocktail mixes. The company uses fresh ingredients and balanced flavor profiles designed to elevate the cocktail experience. 1821's products are now in 48 states, six countries, and they operate a very successful retail store out of Atlanta's mixed-use development, Pont City Market. Missy, thank you for being my guest today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's get right into it. Um, So you were practicing law in Atlanta, and then in eight, um, I'm sorry, I almost said 1821, uh, 40 and slip here. Um, And then in 2011, you got a very scary cancer diagnosis that ultimately resulted in you quitting the practice of law and starting 1821. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah, um, I was actually in court in Fulton County and uh, the judge that I had hearings in front of every morning um, finally just had it. And in the middle of a hearing was like, look, you you look sick. You've looked sick. You've been in pain. Go to the hospital right now. Like you're done. And so um, I I left. I mean, thanks to her, I I finally went to the hospital. I'd been in pain for a while and um, I thought I had a burst appendix. And it turned out that it was a very rare and aggressive form of cancer called hemangiopericytoma um, right between my liver and my bowels. Um, That was December of 2011. Um, I kept working and and went to the oncologist and, and started treatment. And finally treatment got so, so intense and I was so exhausted and sick that I couldn't work anymore. So I took a, a leave of absence from my position at the firm and, and went through cancer treatments. Um, and the the tumor was successfully um, retracted. They, they pulled it out, they got clean margins, everything was great, but they told me, look, um, these usually come back. Um, when they come back, they're they're typically fatal. This doesn't look great for you long term. So I thought, you know what? If I'm going to not survive for another year, I'm going to live out my bucket list. So uh, my wife and I packed up and we moved to Los Angeles and I put out a CD with my face on it. I still have copies. If you'd like one, I'd be happy to give it to you. Um, we were I would love that. <laughs> we were extras in in movies we hung out at the beach um we i was in a, a couple music videos a muse music video a green day music video um i had a blast it was really fun and um then i came back for my oncology visit and my oncologist was like it's, it's a miracle you're gonna live and i thought oh shit, i've i've spent all my life savings like 
I got to move back to Georgia and start practicing law again. And that's that's what we did. Kristen stayed out in L.A. to to um, pack up our, our place. And I moved back to Atlanta and um, started practicing again and also realized very quickly that I didn't want to be stuck practicing law forever because it wasn't particularly fulfilling. And having just faced my own mortality, realized I wanted to do something I was more passionate about and wasn't 100 percent sure what that was, but um, started working really hard, also utilizing my real estate license to get some extra income. And we saved a bunch of money and um, talked to each other and started started 1821 bidders um, pretty, pretty soon after 2014, January of 2014, we started 1821 bidders. Um, I, I'm previously a, a bar and restaurant owner, so the hospitality industry is something I'm very familiar with. So it was a good, good segue for us. I was going back to kind of, I guess it's a mixed bag, right? Like you're, you're like, wonderful, I'm cured. Oh, crud. Like, now, now I have to go back to my old life. Do you remember, like, can you, you know, play back in your mind, like, what, what or play back for our listeners, you know, what was sort of going through your head in that moment? You know, I, I imagine just sort of overjoyed because you're thinking, you know, I'm going to die within the year. Um, and then all of a sudden, no, uh, you know, and, 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 and then, like, Okay, what am I going to do with my life now? Yeah, I mean, I resigned myself to the fact that that I was going to end up not surviving for more than a year or so, um, and that was very difficult to to come to terms with. But I had, and I was I was shocked. I was pouring tears. I called my mom. We were screaming on the phone with each other, and then I I remembered that I had sold my condo that I bought right before the crash. Um, I sold it right after the crash and um, was completely wiped out from my life savings. And I thought, I, I really need to call a couple of the attorneys I know and get a job like right now. Right, right. You're like, it, yeah, different type of panic sets in. You're like, I, I don't have a place to live. I completely got rid of all of my savings. I'm going to live, but now I got to like figure out how and yeah. in what way. Um, so I know it was a couple of years of getting the timeline right. So 2011 was the diagnosis. You had some, some big medical surgeries in 20, uh, 2012. And you're, you know, you've, you've kind of pushed, pushed the career side and you're going to go live, live your bucket list in California um, and then come back, you know, for another oncology appointment and learn that, um, you know, you are. A, a medical miracle and you in fact are going to survive what what year was that was that 20, 20 uh, 12 or 2013 or 2014 yeah, that's late late 2012 um and okay. 20, 2013 is when i started practicing law again okay so you're practicing you're not really loving it and there's this idea sort of percolating in your mind and your wife's mind like you know we're, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do next um, and it sounds like it sort of congealed in 2014 <laughs> during um, Atlanta's infamous snowpocalypse. For the listening audience, uh, for those of you who are not aware or are not from Georgia, um, back in 2014, we had a really a big snowstorm for Atlanta standards. We don't get a lot of snow. And uh, it kind of shut the city down because it occurred at 3 o'clock right before rush hour, I think on a Thursday or Friday. And uh, the city did not have the resources to get rid of this. It kept snowing, it kept snowing, and the city did not have the resources to get rid of the snow because we are a southern city. And so people were kind of 
I was locked in with my wife for about a week and some change. So um, it sounds like, you know, who said first, like, let's go experiment. <laughs> We're locked inside. Um, well, Kristen and I had been talking about starting, starting a company, starting a brand, starting a business. And I was, I was gung ho for starting a distillery. Um, but if you know anything about that business, it's, um, there's a lot of legal issues surrounding opening a distillery. Um, and there's also a lot of funding that goes into it. So multi-million dollar startup costs. Um, so that was a little, little tough to try to figure out. And, um, then the, the snowpocalypse happened. Um, the partner at our firm sent us home. And I, I realized, I worked in Gwinnett at the time, I realized that the, the freeway was um, backed up. I lived in Old Fourth Ward and I would take the, the back roads through Gwinnett home. I was gonna stop at Publix cause Kristen was already home and get us some food because I figured we'd be locked in for a little while. And Publix's parking lot was packed. I was like, the hell with that, I'm going to a bodega. And so I went to the yeah. bodega and there wasn't that much left, but I just grabbed like a bunch of random spices off the shelf and threw some food in a basket and checked out and went home. And we had a bunch wow. of home that Kristen had picked up so that we could drink while we were locked in. She looked at the the spices and herbs that I brought back and she was like, what, what did you buy? Like, what is this? You got juniper <laughs> berries? Are we making bathtub gin? And I was like, that sounds like fun. Let's make some stuff. So we actually started soaking. We started soaking the weird spices in the liquor to make um, to make bitters and tinctures for our cocktails, uh, and whipped up some syrups because we didn't have any mixers at home. And that's that's sort of how it how it started. We thought these are good. Like we should do this. I love that. I love that. That was fantastic. So um, you guys played around. You turned kitchen and bathtub into a science experiment um, with some success, and then. You've told me before, you know, you couldn't immediately quit your law job um, because you had to sort of refurbish your savings from back, you know, when you first got the uh, cancer diagnosis. How long did it take before, you know, you were ab able to do this endeavor full time? Yeah, we, um, it took about four months. We did a Kickstarter to see if it would be something people were interested in. The Kickstarter was successful. We rented a commercial kitchen just a, a couple of hours a week and um, went in on weekends and we, we made the product early in the morning on weekends and then put it in our trunk and drove around to bars and restaurants and tried to sell it to them on weekends. And within four months, we were carried in 15 states and were able to to leave our positions and focus on 1821 full time. And that's when we really realized that this is this is going to be a business. Wow, that's amazing. Um... I'm curious, you know, for the lawyers out there who are listening to this podcast, who are also sort of, they've got ideas kind of rolling around in their heads and, you know, um, haven't gotten to the point yet where, you know, they can take the plunge and do something different or start, start, a, start a side business or a side hobby. Um, you know, how did the law degree um, and the experience practicing law influence what you did with your business, if at all. I'm, I'm just curious if there were any sort of handy dandy skills or um, things that came from that experience practicing law that, you know, assisted you in your endeavor. I realized that you had, you know, owned a restaurant um, prior to, and you and Kristen had had, you know, some experience in the restaurant business, which I'm sure 
informed this endeavor, but I was curious if, um, you know, the law degree or the law practicing helped at all uh, as well. Yeah, I, I use my law degree often, um, you know, when we were first starting the business, navigating the regulatory landscape, um, reading the regulations um, surrounding the production of bitters and cocktail mixers, navigating the three tier system uh, around the alcohol industry um, and licensing. So it was yes. it was very helpful in that regard initially. Additionally, um, negotiating and drafting contracts, reviewing leases, um, drafting our employment agreements, um, our intellectual property. I take care of all of our trademarking and, and IP work. Um, I, I also um, take care of a, a lot of our investor work, our investor relations work. So right now, you know, we're doing a we're doing a crowdfunding raise on Republic, and that you you hire. Um, you hire an attorney to, to draft your forms and submit to the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, but it was very easy to get him everything that he needed because I, I used to work for the SEC. So I knew what they were looking for. I know what the documents are. I know how to put them together. Um, and additionally, when I'm drafting um, memorandums of understanding for um, some of our larger investors, our, our larger angel investors and venture capitalists, um, you know, just knowing how to do that and the legalese involved in it is incredibly helpful and has saved us quite a bit in um, legal costs. No, absolutely. Super, super helpful. So uh, there's there's no regrets, I assume, in terms of uh, <clears throat> going to law school, taking the bar and practicing for a while. It sounds like um, you, you, the universe saw fit that you did that for a reason um, in terms of, of, of having uh, those skills, uh, you know, kind of at your fingertips and, and the ability to save some costs in that way. Um, yeah. You told me, uh, Missy, that, well, let me back up. You know, you have been very successful since your inception. The Kickstarter campaign was very successful. Um, you know, you've kind of blown up, if you will. I realize it's taken years, but, you know, now in 48 states, six countries are rolling out new, um, lines for your business uh, this year. And uh, that's a bit unusual for a small business, as you know, and many listeners know um, who, who've, who've dealt with small businesses. Um, but as you've told me, it wasn't complete smooth sailing. Um, there were some hiccups. And I was wondering if you would share with our listeners um, you know, the things along the way since, you know, Snowpocalypse 2014, when you guys looked at each other and said, this could be a business, um, you know, what types of things, business, personal or otherwise, you guys have had to deal with? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, on a, on a personal side, what a lot of people don't know is, is Kristen and I were in a incredibly bad car wreck um, in 2015. Um, so just a year after we we started the business, and um, I I ended up with a, a fairly severe brain injury that caused some um, some seizures, some, some short term memory loss, and um, I I had to hide that. I was I was stuttering. I, I still have aphasia where I lose words, and my family and friends understand that I lose words. But sometimes if I'm talking to a podcast or I'm interviewing with um, with a reporter, I have to think really hard for an alternate word that will work because once you lose that word, it, it just doesn't come back um, right away. So it's hard to carry on conversations the same way that I used to. 
and I'm fairly good at covering that up. Um, Kristen used to have to tell me when we were at trade shows after the accident, like somebody would come up and be like, hey, Missy, how you doing? And Kristen would have to whisper to me like, hey, that's that's John. He runs that cigar bar in, in Dunwoody. And I'd be like, hey, John, what's up? How's the cigar bar going? And would have absolutely no recollection that I knew this person. Um, wow. That that took several years to, to get over. I think I started getting better um, really around like 2018. Um, and I, I think I'm probably to the point where this is the best I'm going to get, but I'm very, very functional and have my memory back. So that's, that's good. Um, and then from a, from a business standpoint, I think the biggest thing that everyone knows is, is COVID. I mean, we did not plan for a pandemic and while we have, um, you know, a secession plan in place in case something happens to one of us or a plan in place in case one of us gets strep throat or appendicitis or breaks our ankle, we didn't have a plan in place for a year-long pandemic. Huge impact on the industry. Um, probably the biggest issue that we've seen is one, our on-premise business. So we sold mostly to bars and restaurants prior to the pandemic. And all of a sudden in March, all the bars and restaurants around the US completely shut down. And we were like, oh, what are we gonna do? So we had to pivot really quickly um, start working on direct-to-consumer channels and uh, off-premise, which are bars, liquor stores, and groceries. And that took a, about a month and a half to two months to get back into the swing of things, but uh, but we did. And also, there's a there's a severe can shortage right now, and a lot of our product comes in cans. Even Coca-Cola and Pepsi and, and Budweiser are having a hard time finding cans. So we've really had to be scrappy and um, and nimble to ensure our supply chain stays continuous without any severe interruptions due to a lack of raw ingredients or, or packaging products. So that's been that's been our wow. big professional professional issue to date. Yeah. I mean those of us who are not in the industry, we hear about, you know, the loss of toilet paper at the beginning of this or, you know, hand sanitizer. Um, but you don't really think about this as a Sort of public consumer, unless you know somebody in the industry, um, you know that that those are issues that you guys are dealing with um, right right now too. Um, and hopefully this too shall pass. But it's a testament to your creativity and your nimbleness um, and your resiliency, frankly. Um, you know to be able to roll out new uh, lines um, and 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 figure out a way to to meet your customers' needs and. That brings me to, you know, kind of this question that's been simmering in the background for me as I listen to you tell what I think is a pretty incredible story. Um, you know, to me, Missy, you, you and your wife, um, you know, epitomize resilience. And um, I'm going to show a little bit of my nerdy side right now. Uh, I've been reading a lot of academic journals about resilience um, from social scientists in preparation for doing this podcast. And one common theme is that folks who bounce back from really big events, like, you know, a cancer diagnosis or a huge car wreck with lasting um, effects, um, and, and particularly those that do it repeatedly, um, usually have had some experience bouncing back before, whether that was when they were children, whether it was that they had, you know, a sick parent growing up and they watched that parent continually bounce back from things. And so I want to know from you, where does your resilience come from? 
Um, I, I think it's it's probably twofold between my, my family members. I'm incredibly close with my mother and my father and my, my two aunts, uh, my mom's sisters, um, who who raised me and always um, in, ingrained in me that that I needed to um, work hard and shrug things off and, and just pounded in that that I needed to to be tough and and keep going. And um, and I was I was bullied really badly. I was super nerdy when I was when I was a little kid and I was bullied incessantly, like really badly to the point where I would eat lunch in the bathroom with my feet up on the toilet. So no one would know I was in there because kids would just torture me or I would like go to the payphone and eat my lunch on the payphone. That's how old I am. Um, eat my lunch on the payphone and pretend I was talking to somebody. So so people would think I was I was busy and, and would leave me alone and not pick on me. And when I would come home and, and cry to my, my parents about it, um, I got a lot, of, I mean, they're very loving people, but I'd get a lot of like toughen up kid. Like this is something that this will pass. This will be something that will shape you and turn you into a stronger person. So if it doesn't kill you, it's gonna make you stronger. You need to just push through it. Um, and I, I credit that and credit my parents and my aunts to to turning me into a person that is gritty, that can pivot, that is nimble, that is resilient. Um, I, th I think all the credit goes to them. And thanks to the kids who bullied me when I was a little kid, I mean, I became a much tougher adult. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because uh, it's like you survived diff difficult things before. Um, and I would imagine that it's like, well, you know, I got through that and I survived. It got to the other side of it. So we're just going to get through uh, this, next, this next thing, whatever it is, whatever life puts in front of us and, you know, kind of not look back, if you will. Yeah. I mean, there was a there was a kid picking on me. I remember it really clearly. This may have been the turning point. There was this kid picking on me in sixth grade, and I don't remember his name, um, but he was picking on me, and he he called my mom a really terrible name, and I thought he was cute, so I was trying to compliment him, and I I told him he looked like one of the Olympic figure skaters, and he didn't like it, so he called my mom a bad name, and I stood up and I I knocked him out with a, a right hook, and I got hit um, <laughs> for it, but. My parents were so proud of me. They were like, "Yeah, good job, kid." So that may have been that may have been the turning point. Yeah. Well, and uh, again, for the listening audience, um, Missy is a friend and is not a large woman. She is small. <laughs> so I just have this vision. It's like David and Goliath. Uh, you being the David in this analogy, and you like <laughs> giving. Hit a right hook and him falling over because he's probably shocked uh, <laughs> that you did that. Well, I have sort of a a twofold question um, towards the end of of our discussion here. Um, the first is um, any advice that you would give lawyers who are contemplating this idea of having, you know, a, a second career in addition to the law and or wanting to take that plunge and do something different and kind of, you know, use their legal skills in a different sphere. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got to say that if I were in a different practice area, if I had been in transactional, um, some sort of transactional capacity, um, I, I may not have left. I was unhappy in litigation. Um, so, so that may have 
that may have kept me in the practice of law and I wouldn't be doing what I do today. And I, I love my job. I'm deliriously happy with what I do. It's incredibly stressful sometimes and wakes me up at four in the morning in cold sweats, but I love my job. Um, I, I'm very happy that I stayed at the firm and continued to work full time while I was developing the company, while I was developing the brand. I was very careful. I made sure that I wasn't, I, I talked to the partners about it. I made sure that I wasn't in violation of my employment agreement, that any intellectual property I created wouldn't be the property of the firm, that there would be no conflict of interest. And they were assured me that if, if I were doing it on my own time, it was fine. So I was very open and honest with my partners about what I was doing and what I was pursuing um, and gave them plenty of notice um, when I was getting ready to leave. I wasn't just like deuces, see you guys. Um, because I, I don't believe in, in burning bridges. Um, and I think that that staying there was put a lot less stress on me with the business and allowed us to be more creative and stay true to who we were and create the brand the way we really wanted it to be created because we both had full-time jobs that supported our lives. Um, and we lived a very frugal lifestyle um, and saved a lot of money um, just in case, just to be on the safe side. So we had about a year of living expenses uh, saved up that would cover our mortgage, our groceries, our, our health insurance. I was on COBRA. Um, we, we had that saved up before we, we decided to make the leap. I think that's fantastic advice for those of you who are listening. Um, you know, you've got to be very planful. You have to be a bit patient. Um, you know, as Missy said, it didn't. This didn't happen overnight, um, and it was a simmering idea for an, for a while. Then it became like a real live potential thing, um, and then it was like, okay, but we want to do this right, um, and we want to make sure that you know we're crossing our T's and dotting our I's. Um, you know, for you who are interested in doing something else, you know, do your research, talk to other people who um, have done it, and then you know, create a plan and execute. That's that's really the key here. Um, my next question is, as you know, the past year has been difficult for a lot of people, um, especially young, newly practicing attorneys. Um, many of them have been furloughed, laid off, they pay cuts, um, uncertainty in their careers and personal lives. And many of them, um, especially the millennials and the Gen Xers, uh, those who are younger than us, um, we're, we're too young to really be impacted by the Great Recession, um, like you and I were. Some of them don't remember it. Some of them just, you know, were not old enough to, to feel those impacts directly. Um, and so they don't necessarily have a point of reference for what they're experiencing. And, you know, if they're type A, go-getter, gunner types, this may be the very first time in their lives that they're experiencing this type of loss um, and hiccup. And I was wondering, what your advice would be to those guys? <laughs> wow. Um, I I think I used to be type A. I don't know if I am anymore. Um, yoga, meditation, go for a run. Uh, there's not, not really a whole lot that, that you can do about this. And it's going to, I mean, it's going to happen again. There's going to be something in the next few years that's going to create a bunch of turmoil again. So I think um, you just have to be, you have to be resilient. You have to. You you have to understand that this is not happening to you. But think of it uh, in a mindset like this is this is happening for you. This is creating an opportunity, um, some space in your head, some space in your life, 
to to shift and and do something new um i've had to work really hard on viewing things from a more this is going to sound so hokey but a more like grateful place um if i hadn't been diagnosed with a really rare and aggressive form of cancer i wouldn't have the life i have right now um you know so so i'm grateful for all the things that i've been through um i i wouldn't be the kind of person who could just up and move to a different country on a on a whim if i wanted to and i can i can work from anywhere now um yeah. so i think yeah. just just changing your 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 attitude changing your your way of thinking of things that are happening in life and and viewing them as a potential opportunity um uh, and then trying to work on the the anxiety that everyone feels like controlling anxiety i think is incredibly important getting yourself into a mental state where the anxiety isn't what's driving you. Yes, yes, not being fear-based um, and, and being opportunity-based. Yeah, there's that, um, I'm gonna ruin it or uh, bastardize it, but there's that Shakespeare's quote about, uh, nothing's either good or, good or bad, only thinking makes it so. And uh, I think your advice is well taken um, for, any, for, for anyone listening to this podcast. It's, you know, how you frame what happens to you, that really determines, um, you know, whether you can go on and, and move forward uh, in a positive way and learn from the experience. Well, um, this has been fantastic, Missy. I wanna thank you so much for giving me your time, being so transparent about your story um, and sharing your experiences with our listeners today. I know that I got a lot of out of it and I'm sure that they will too. And uh, I just want to tell you that I sincerely appreciate your time and your willingness to talk to our listeners. Thank you for listening to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. Join us next time for another story about thriving after overcoming challenges. You can find Bouncing Back and other programming for lawyers on MLA's Legal Talk Network.